Yeah, so let's just get into it. Um, last week, if you, if you weren't here, you can always check out our um, sermons online. But last week, we started this series, and next week, we're ending it. So it's a super quick um, series, and there's a lot packed into it. Um, but, um, but I just want to take this center piece. Last week, we talked about um, Austin Glenn opened up the word, and he flipped to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Um, if you want to grab your Bibles out, you can. We are going to have the verses on the screen, um, and we're going to be jumping around a lot uh, this morning. Um, and he read this, um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So last week, he talked about how Jesus begins a work in us. He begins a work by his blood on the cross, God binds up the sin, our sin, our, the penalty of our sin, the wrath that we deserve for our sin. He places it on Jesus. And then Jesus dies for our sin and then raises from the dead, defeating sin because he's God. He defeats our sin. And now only and only through Jesus can we have a right relationship with God. We can have a right relationship with God and actually have a relationship with him. We go from enemies to heirs. We go from people who despise him to people who are in awe and in love with him. Um, and so, we, that's the beginning of his grace towards us. By grace you have been saved through faith. That his grace begins in the cross. It begins in Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection. And then it continues with us throughout our entire lives. And then, and then actually God com- completes it in the end when Jesus returns. And so um, today we're gonna focus on that middle piece of what God's sustaining grace looks uh, looks like for a follower of Jesus today. Because if you believe in Jesus, God's grace is with you. He has given you his Holy Spirit. Like we forget this so often that the Spirit of God lives within us, walks with us in every situation we're in, good, bad, ugly, all of them. He's with us. He's moving in our lives. And we've already sang so much and and talked so much about the grace that he's given us just for today. You can think about all the different things that how God has been gracious and merciful and loving to you even just today. It's not even noon yet. And he's already, his face has already shined upon you. But the thing I want to talk about this morning is when things are not good. When our lives go through suffering, where is God's sustaining grace? Now, the, the thing about this is in the church in the West, and especially in America, um, we have adopted um, from our culture this culture of comfort, right? Um, this culture of wanting to always be comfortable. I talk about this with students all the time. My small group knows this well, that like, I fought, constantly have to fight with this, right? This wanting to be comfortable. I don't want discomfort in my life, whether it's um, in just the, my living situation or what I have to eat or even conversations that I have. I don't want conversations to be uncomfortable, right? I don't want discomfort in my life. And the problem is what we end up doing as Christians is we end up equating comfort in our lives to God's sustaining grace, that when God's grace is in our lives, there is comfort and there is no discomfort. We begin to 
think that the Christian life is one with Jesus, like fully, I go to church, I do the things, I read the book, I like all these things. We start to do that, but with comfort, and so much so that we avoid discomfort at any cost. And this makes us completely avoid suffering or try to avoid suffering. Or when we get into suffering, or, or really, we try to avoid suffering maybe by praying, God, would you not allow this to happen to me? I do not want to suffer in this way, right? Or when we're in the midst of suffering, all we pray in that suffering is, God, would you get me out of this? Would you get me out of this? And then when God, get, if God chooses to pluck us out of that suffering, that's when his sustaining grace is there. But the reality is when we allow the culture to manipulate what we believe or what, we, what is true about God's sustaining grace, we actually lose a lot in it. So we have to realize that God's sustaining grace in our lives is not the avoidance or the lack of suffering in it, but it's actually his endurance through it with us. And also him giving us the ability to actually step into some suffering as well. Suffering of other people, suffering for the name of Jesus, and we're, we're gonna get into that in a second. So we see all throughout the Bible um, this idea that suffering is part of the Christian life. Um, a lot of times, the way we get around this is we, I, was, I, I tell this to students a, a lot, um, maybe it'll stick one day, is that, man, when you read the Bible, don't, don't put the world and what, what, the, what culture says on like glasses and then read the Bible. But put the Bible on as your glasses and read your world. And the, the reason we have to do that is because so much we go to God's word and we, we kind of read around things that we don't like. And the problem is we can't do that. All of it is God's word. It's God's breathed word in, in the Bible and we have to read it all and see what he has for us. And the reality is when we read his word at face value and actually see what he's saying, he's providing something way better, way better for us than when we read it through the lens of the world. And so uh, suffering is part of the Christian life. It's pretty clear. Just to point out in one uh, one verse, there's many, but one, um, Philippians 1, verse 6, Paul says this, and I am sure that he who began a good work in you, I'm sorry, not that one, my bad, Philippians 1, verse 29, uh, sorry, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul in this, if you know anything about Paul, he was imprisoned multiple times. He was stoned. Uh, I mean, and in that tried to, uh, people tried to kill him constantly for his faith in Jesus and proclaiming the gospel to people. Um, he wasn't doing it militantly. He wasn't doing it Angrily, he was doing it in a, you have to believe in Jesus, and the world around him hated him for it. But what Paul says here is pretty clearly that it was granted to you that you would not only believe in Jesus, but that you would also suffer. And why would suffering be part of the Christian life? Why would suffering be part of the Christian life? Well, I think when we go through different types of suffering, God reminds us some things about himself, about the world, and about ourselves that we're going to get into in a minute. But before we get into that, I want to just point out 
three different types of suffering that we go through. Um, the first one is different than the last two because the first one is a type of suffering that people can go through in general. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to go through this suffering. And it's this, the suffering, uh, suffering because of the curse of sin. We see this every day. Some of you have maybe experienced some of this today. You'll experience it tomorrow. If you turn on the news, you will surely experience it and see the effects of it. But suffering because of the curse of sin. If you remember in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God and there was perfection. Like it was amazing, right? I mean, like I imagine Adam and Eve walking with lions and lions are just like hanging out. Now if you like walk into a lion, it'd try to eat you, right? But when Adam and Eve believed that they, like they said, no, 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 I want to be God. I want to be God. And they disobeyed God. Sin entered into the world. The curse of sin entered into the world, and it caused pain and suffering. In uh, Genesis chapter three, it says things like that. Now there's pain in childbearing. That there's that husbands and wives will conflict with each other. That there that the ground is cursed and it'll be hard to grow things. That we'll be hungry. That there'll be sweat on our faces. That life will be difficult. And lastly, that from, you were made from dust and from dust you shall return, that we will die. We weren't meant to do that. I think we forget that sometimes. That we were meant to walk with God, glorifying him forever. But now because of sin, everything is falling apart. And it's not hard to see the suffering, right? It's really easy. Again, get your phone out and click one news thing and you're, and you're there. But we see the suffering of Murder. We see the suffering of um, watching others around us and ourselves' bodies decay, right? We see the suffering of anger towards one another. We see the suffering of people hungry who cannot eat today. We see this suffering all around us. And the reality with this suffering, too, is we can't avoid it. It's, it's, near, it's impossible to avoid Not nearly impossible. It is impossible to avoid because sin is everywhere. The world is suffering under the curse of sin. The second two types of suffering are different in the sense of really these sufferings are around the Christian life. That the Christ follower would experience these sufferings um, and not other people. People who don't follow Jesus would not experience these sufferings. The second reason why these are different is because these sufferings are, are things that we actually actively, willingly step into as followers of Jesus. The first one is this, suffering because of our proclamation of the gospel, or proclamation of, of who Jesus is, right? And so if we look at John chapter 15, verse 18, it should be on the screen. It says, uh, if the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the word that remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they they will keep yours, but all things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus, from the very get-go, I love this, and I, 
<laughs> I love mentioning this with students all the time. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He's not over here going, look, look, look. Over here, there's a party, and if you come over here, I got all these things to give you and these shiny things. But he's saying, no, no, no. What I have for you over here to the world looks idiotic. But I promise you, it's exactly what I created you for. And in it, he says from the beginning that if you follow after me, you will have to suffer. You will suffer for the sake of my name. People will push you out of their lives. You, and people might even, like Jesus said, if they persecute you, they persecute me. How do they persecute Jesus? They killed him. They put him on a cross. And the reality is when you look, like there's no real reason why they did that, right? Like at least lawful reason. They did it because they hated him. They hated him. And so they will hate us too if we, and, and it's not because of our, us being malicious or anything like that. If you go in and you share how Jesus tells us to in love for people knowing that their souls for eternity will be lost, gone, not with God, separated from God for eternity without Jesus. And that the things that they're looking for in this life are actually found in Jesus. People will hate you for it. So it's the, the, the second kind of suffering, proclaiming, or suffering because of our proclaiming of Jesus. And in some countries, people kill you, and, and in this country, no, you probably wouldn't be killed, but you would maybe not get that promotion that you wanted or the job that you needed or the what, whatever it is. Because of your faith in Jesus, you'll suffer. Many students of mine have suffered the loss of friends because of their faith in Jesus and just their desire for others to know him. The third suffering is this, suffering by not taking part in what the world says is good, but God says is not. So this is another suffering that we step into, and to help us understand this, I want to read Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in him. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the uh, knowledge after the image of its creator. That as followers of Jesus, because we've believed in Jesus, we've been saved of our sins, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Now the Spirit works within us to walk through life and suffer by saying, no, 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 what the world says is good. Like the world says that I must have more money or more fame or more of whatever. And because I follow Jesus, by his power working within me, I say no. And so I won't get status. I won't get the, the things that the world says is good. I won't have power and authority over men. I will not... I will not lie to make myself a better way in my job. I will not slander other people. My sexual ethic 
is not what the world says, but it's what God has said is right. And so we suffer in the world because we do not participate in what the world says is good, and so we don't get the things that the world says is good. Spoiler alert, the, the, what the world says is good is not actually good, right? For those of you who have pursued it, you know this. So, when we suffer, these are just three types of suffering. Suffering because of the curse of sin, suffering because of our proclamation of Jesus and suffering by not taking part in what the world says is good. These are suffering, the ways that we suffer. And so we can't avoid the first suffering and the second two we are called to actively step into. Now we, yeah, we're called to actively step into. So in contrast to avoiding suffering in our lives or when suffering comes along and instead of asking God just to get out of it, when we ask God to be with us in the suffering and endure with us and move in us instead of get us out of this suffering, he actually produces some things within us. And this is his sustaining grace, that he produces things within us in the suffering that we would never experience outside of it. And we begin to start to see some reality. And so I'm getting ahead of myself, but the first thing that he I'm pointing out three things that he produces in us. This is an exhaustive list. There's more. But I think three things that are super important for us to understand that he produces within the suffering of his people who say, no, 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 I'm going to lean on him. I'm going to trust him in suffering. I'm not going to try to avoid it or find my way out of it. I'm going to lean on Jesus. The first thing that he produces within us during suffering when we lean on him is a kingdom perspective. A kingdom perspective in contrast to the earthly perspective. The world around you is telling you what is good, what is true, what is right, what you need, what you don't need every day, 24-7. Well, you're sleeping for six to eight hours of that, right? But even still, constantly, again and again and again and again, telling you what is right, what is good, what you need and what you don't need. But when we endure suffering by leaning on him and not avoiding it, he actually produces within us a kingdom perspective where we start to see the world correctly. We see through the lies that the world has placed in front of us and we see the world correctly. Uh, we can see this really clearly and uh, Paul speaks of it uh, multiple times, but I just want to point out two of them to you. The first one is in Romans uh, chapter 8. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And the second is in Philippians chapter one, verse 19, it says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers uh, and the help of the spirit of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but, that will, uh, but with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, when I hear that, you have to remember that Paul, formerly known as Saul, committed the first half of his life to killing people who proclaimed that. And now, through everything that he's been through, Paul can see clearly that the glory of God, man, 
anything in this world, the sufferings of this world, and even the things that I could have, the riches of the world, have nothing in comparison to the glory of God. His glory that's been revealed and that will be revealed in the end. And he goes far as to even say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. His, perf- his perspective is completely shifted to To live is all about Christ. No matter what I do, Christ is within and throughout all of it. And if I die, it's gain. Because you know what? I get to be with Jesus. I get to actually sit in his presence. So when we go through suffering, any of those types of suffering, and we lean on him, he provides within us a kingdom perspective where we begin to see that the lies of the world are simply that, lies. The second thing that God provides within us by his spirit through suffering as we lean on him is, is this, faith and steadfastness. If you look at James chapter one, verse two, it says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let, that, uh, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James goes as far as to say, actually take joy in our suffering. Take joy in the suffering uh, that we have for Jesus. I, I was just reading, this is not in my notes, but I'm gonna say it. I was just reading my Bible reading plan um, the other day, and I love how in Acts you see that the, the early apostles, the apostles, they're, they're going out and they're sharing the gospel. They're sharing the gospel with people, and they are getting persecuted. I mean, they're pulled into the they're pulled into these courtrooms and they're like, what are you doing, blah, 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 we're gonna beat you, we're gonna kill you, we're gonna do all this. And it's so funny, multiple times they leave those situations where they're like, they're like, like people are like, we're, gonna, we're warning you, we're warning you. They leave and they're like, praise God. Like not in this, the fact that they persecute, but praise God that he's doing a work and that he is keeping us steadfast in what he has said and what he has done. And I imagine this steadfastness like this, that as we lean on Jesus in our suffering, any of those sufferings, that it's, it's like this. It's like if I had a box up here this high, filled with concrete, okay, and I stepped into it, wet concrete, give me, how long does concrete take to dry? Anybody know? Cool, good talk, okay. Concrete, right? <laughs> Uh, anyway, it dries, right? And then I get someone to, I get each of you to come up here and try to push me over. I'm, I'm not gonna fall. I'm stuck in the concrete. But am I holding myself up? No, the concrete is. The Spirit of God holds us up. Now, if I stood here right now and Jake Noyce came, I asked Jake Noyce to come up and push me over, he could push me over easily. Let's be real, he's double my height. But he could push me over easily. But in our suffering, God holds us fast. We lean on him. He holds us steadfast in the reality that he is sovereign over all things, that he loves us and cares for us, and that his son has died for us, given us his spirit, and we can walk with him in the hardest of situations on this earth. That's the reality that holds us down. The third way that he, uh, the third thing that he produces in us as we, as we go through suffering, as we lean on him, is, is this, it's Comfort, but true comfort. Not the comfort that the world offers. Because the comfort, if you, if you start to really consider the comforts that the world has on offer, all of them eventually go away or have the risk of going away constantly, over and over again. A lot of times, you, to actually 
uh, succeed, which you can't really, but to try to succeed in having a comfortable life as the world would say, you kind of have to jump around on what is your comfort because everything continually fails you. But in the suffering, Christ brings us comfort because he is our comforter. He himself, he has endured the cross. He's endured our suffering and so he walks with us in it. Second Corinthians, um, Second Corinthians chapter one says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's like a ripple effect of comfort. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. God gives us an unshakable comfort. And the reason why it's unshakable is because the the object of our comfort is not the world, it's not the things around us that will fall, but it's him. He is unshaken. He is the Alpha Omega. He is from eternity to eternity. He, and he has done everything for us to have a relationship with him. And so through this, through suffering, we actually begin to love God more, live for his purposes, and rest in him, and not in his blessings, but actually rest in him. And not only rest in him when we see the fruit of his blessings, but actually rest in him. Um, I figured to make this an official Flourishing Grace sermon, I had to have a Bonhoeffer quote in here. So um, I'm going to throw that one out there for you. Um, Side note, if you have not read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I read it in college, changed my life. I try to read it once a year at least, honestly, um, because it's amazing. Um, And he writes about this. He writes about this, our community, the community of believers in this. He says this, The disciple community does not shake off sorrow as though it were no concern of its own, but willingly bears it. And in this, they show how close are the bonds which bind them to the rest of humanity. But at the same time, they do not go out of their way looking for suffering or try to contract out of it by adopting an attitude of contempt or disdain. They simply bear the suffering which comes their way as they try to follow Jesus Christ and bear it for his sake. Sorrow cannot tire them or wear them down. It cannot embitter them or cause them to break under the strain. Far from it, for they bear their sorrow in the strength of him who bears with them. I'm sorry, who bears them up. Who bore the whole suffering of the world upon the cross, they stand as the bearers of sorrow in the fellowship of the crucified. They stand as strangers in the world in the power of him who 
was such a stranger in the world that it crucified him. This is their comfort. Or better still, this man is their comfort, the comforter. The community of strangers find their comfort in the cross. They are comforted by being cast upon the place where their comforter, the comforter of Israel, awaits them. Thus, they do, I'm sorry, thus do they find their home with their crucified Lord, both here and in eternity. Man. So this is what the Christian community looks like. As one that endures suffering not on our own strength, not by ourselves, not uh, in our own, not in ourselves at all, but in the strength of our comforter, the one who took the sins of the world on himself. And so if this is what God has for us in his, his sustaining grace for us is not the avoidance of suffering or the quickly plucking us out of suffering, but the rest in the comforter in him and the production of really the sanctification of ourselves, of becoming more like Christ during the suffering, then how do we do this? How do we take steps toward avoiding discomfort and suffering, and suffering, but walking with God through it instead of avoiding it. Well, for some of you, you're right in the thick of it, right? Right in the thick of suffering. And for some of you, maybe you've hit a lull and there isn't suffering right now. 2020 has been rough, so I'm pretty positive that most of us have either are in some heated suffering or have just come out of it or are about to enter into it. And no, no matter where you are in that, what it starts with is every day leaning on Christ. Leaning on Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And Paul knew Jesus. Not just intellectually, he experienced Jesus personally. He knew Jesus. He knew Jesus' wants and desires and hopes for him, but he also knew his character and his love and his power and his majesty, and Paul was in awe of him. So if you're in times of peace, lean on him. Lean on him. Know him. Because if in times of peace we are not leaning on him, suffering will come, because it will. And most likely we won't lean on him. So lean on him. Spend time with him, engage the community of God, have brothers and sisters around you who are reminding you of what Jesus has done for you on the cross when the world is saying all these other things that people around you can say, no, 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 this is the truth and you know it from his word. I mean, my, my hope is for us that we would be a people that would 
not avoid suffering, but that we would, as we endure suffering, that Christ would grow in more awe, we'd be in more awe of who he is, but also that we, by his spirit, would step into the suffering of the world, the suffering of other people, just the general suffering of sin, that we would step into other people's suffering and show them Jesus, but also that we would step in by showing the world who Jesus is and by denying our old self and taking up our cross and following him. So let me pray for us to that end. God, you are good. God, you are good and you're, you have given us so much in your son, Jesus. God, would you help our hearts to remember that this morning? That we've gone from death to life not because of ourselves, but because of you. And God, now in this world, we live as ambassadors. We live as a witness of what you've done. God, we're called to step into the suffering. We're called to step into the pain of the world with hope, the only hope that there is. There's only hope in Jesus. There's not hope in men. There's not hope in governments. There's not hope in systems. God, there's only hope in you. So God, by your spirit, would you make us a people that don't count anything that we have here. That we see your glory see it as it is, that it surpasses everything, surpasses the good that we could have, or the, the things that we could have on this earth, or the status that we could have, but also surpasses the suffering, that anything that we would endure for the sake of Christ, whether it's losing a friend or being put to death.